Good morning, Spanish River Church. Good to see everyone. My name is Matt Wilson, and I serve as a student ministry pastor here at the church. It means I work with the middle school and high school students of our church and discipling them, and in the meantime, we also have lots of fun, right? Yes, okay, all right. We had Big Fishing Friday Day. Uh, this Friday, 20, 13 kids came out, and um, one of the girls came, never fished before. This is the way it always works. Never fished before, gets a rod, Drops in the water, catches a 16-inch catfish right there, just bam. Not a single fish was caught after that. So, but, but we had a lot of fun. Uh, and we got great suntans, right? Just sitting out there baking in the sun. So, well, uh, I want to, I hope your summer is going well and uh, you're enjoying it. It's definitely a different pace of life in, during the summer. And uh, for that reason, we're actually starting a new sermon series called Summer in the Psalms. And Summer in the Psalms is a time where we really hope that your soul is ministered to and that you are able to seek rest and to be able to find renewal while the pace of life is different and uh, anticipating school starting again where we crank up that busyness machine and get going, and so uh, we just pray that this is a time of refreshment for you. And so we're gonna be looking today at Psalm chapter four. Um, But when we think about rest and renewal and finding rest and renewal and needing rest and renewal, that's because there's a flip side to rest and renewal, and that is the weariness that comes from just doing ordinary life, that it, it, it wears on us. But it's not if weariness of life was enough, but then you have trouble that enters your life and comes your way and tends to burden us all the more. Um, a well-known author once said, I don't ever need to look for trouble because trouble just always seems to find me. And I would dare say that most people in this room are struggling with some form of trouble in their life on top of the weariness of just life itself. And whether, whether it be relational trouble uh, from family or friends or coworkers or neighbors or whatever it might be, um, uh, but it, we find also that trouble doesn't come relationally only, but it comes also from other types of sources. Uh, this past um, Sunday, I was uh, going home from our high school campus night on Sunday night. It was about 10 o'clock and got off of Yamato, the exit onto 95, was on 95 for about 30 seconds. And when the pickup truck under in front of me hit a four foot section of tractor tire tread that shot, went under his truck and it shot out and landed right in front of my car, which by the way I've owned for 120 days, and hit that thing without ever hitting the brakes, and it cracked the front end of my car and busted out both grills and ripped out all kinds of stuff underneath, and then finally caught the bumper on the way out and unhinged the bumper off the back. It's just like, great. And so trouble tends to just find us, doesn't it? And then, of course, having to deal with insurance companies um, certainly is good for your blood pressure, isn't it? And so... So it's just, uh, you know, you just shake your head and you're like, oh, this is like a month of problems ahead of me here. Um, But for most of us as well, that not only does trouble come from outside of us and it comes from relationships that we have, but trouble also comes from inside of us, that we cause a lot of trouble for ourselves in our mind and in our heart, and we stir the pot uh, with things we don't need to be worried and anxious about, and we tend to bring that wearisomeness upon ourselves as well. And, And it's for this reason that when you look at statistics, that in the United States, that adults, people from 18 years old and up, that one out of five struggles with anxiety. 
Now, when you look at the statistics of those younger, all right, the, those in the teen years uh, from 17 and down, that number skyrockets to one in three to where they actually label themselves. They'll tell you straight up, this is common language where you know most of us as adults would never mention this in just casual conversation, but, but teenagers will, they'll say, oh yeah, I have mental health issues. That's just part of how they almost introduce themselves, that they're struggling, that it's so debilitating to them uh, that, that it's just part of who they are, is what they say. And uh, unfortunately, with anxiety, um, it, it, it's shadowed by really just a debilitating um, depression that impacts them and, be, and, and keeps them from being able to operate normally in life. And then also to the furthest extreme where we see suicide and the suicide rate just skyrocketing as well as we hear way too much about that. So trouble, which is the flip side of renewal, quickly takes us to the end of ourselves. And we don't have the wherewithal, we feel like we don't have the emotional bandwidth, we just don't feel like we have the resources to deal with this. And so we, we're left with only one resolve, and that is to cry out. That is just to cry out uh, for something, someone, somewhere outside of us to intervene to help. And this is where we find King David today as he has, he's the one who has penned Psalm 4, that he is crying out in this psalm. But what we also find is he leads us uh, into the pathway of finding resolution for that. And so if you could now turn with me to Psalm chapter 4, whether in your Bible or your electronic devices. And I'll read this for us now. This is God's holy word. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder your own hearts, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Well, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray if we could. Father God, we are so grateful that we're able to come in your midst, to gather as your people and to be able to lift your name up with one voice to exalt you for the great things, the mighty things that you and only you have done. We pray, Father, that we, uh, as we look at your word, that your Holy Spirit be with us now. Bless us with your presence. Open our hearts and minds to be able to understand these truths, to be able to apply them, to show us our deep and need that we have that for your son to be able to to reconcile us to you, to forgive us our sin, to be able to handle the daily weight of sin in life. So Lord, minister to us now. We pray for the transformation of the gospel uh, that you promise in your scripture. We pray for that upon us now. In Christ's name alone we pray, amen. Well, I'd have to say that everyone has days like, like in our lives that we need to have a psalm read to us like that before we go to bed. The, the movement of this psalm really is, is amazing. I, I absolutely love it where that, that it starts in this cry 
of help, but that it ends with him sleeping in peace. And that despite our distress, that we're able to find sleep, we're able to find peace, knowing that God cares for us. And so the interesting thing about this psalm is that it's not that It's not that the problem that David was crying out about was to be eliminated, but it was that in the midst of it that he actually is able to find peace while dealing with it. And that really is the magic this. This is really what we we long for um, because all of our problems aren't just going to disappear and go away. But I would like you... I also ask this all the time, how do we do that? When you're in the midst of this and you feel this, you're just beyond yourself, how, what is the path? How do you find that way to peace from the distress and the trouble and the weariness that you are experiencing? And so David models for us that path. That path of peace where we're able to go from distress and crying out to being able to sleep at night and stay asleep even, which is a, a beautiful and wonderful thing. Well, what he does is he shows us that as we recall the promises of God to his people, that that is the path to go down. We find that when we do that, when we recall these promises, all right, all the promises that are in the scriptures, and God has summed up those promises with this phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people. And within that, there's all kinds of promises that that are given to us because of that. But how does that change us? How does that lead us down that path to find peace and renewal? Well, I think to, to to help you understand this, and I want to tell you kind of a, a situation in, in, my, in my house that I think will help you understand. Um, so in, in our master bedroom, our master bathroom, I have a door that began to squeak, all right? And not just squeak. I mean, it began to like, it sounds something like from the Munster's house or some haunted house somewhere. And so as you shut the door, it's just a, it's terrible. And so in the middle of the night, I'll get up to go to the bathroom and Becky's sleeping peacefully. And then I go in the bathroom door and I shut that door and it's this really loud, just creaking, moaning, groaning, haunted house feeling sound that I'm sure takes her out of any kind of peaceful sleep she was in. And it just, I just cringe every time I shut it and then I have to open it again. And so I thought, you know, I'm so tired of this. I got, I'm to fix this door. I got to, I got to, I can't, this can't continue. So when I go and I get my level, I have this five foot level I use and then, uh, and I got a square and I said, let's find out the issue here. So I go to the door. I said, it's got to be the door. Uh, and cause I can, I want to see if the door is all warped, you know, from the shower and stuff. This is, this is reasonable. And I'll just go find a new door and put it on and solve the problem. So I take my five foot level and I put it up against the door. And sure enough, that door is perfectly straight. And I'm thinking, okay, that's really odd. And so I take my square and I put it on the top of the door and down the side to see if it's square. And I'm thinking, surely this is all messed. No, the door is completely straight and completely true. And I was like, that is really weird. So what's the problem? So I take my five foot level and I put it against the door frame. And the door frame is completely warped. Uh, I mean, just, it's not square. It's not, nothing about it. I don't even know how the door fits in the door frame. The thing was so messed up. 
And so I'm thinking, well, this is a much larger issue because if I want to stop the squeaking and the door to fit in the door frame, I need to reframe the door completely. And so that is exactly what we need to do in our lives is that in our distress, part of that anxiety that we have is that we have reframed all of the players in the situation wrongly. And so it's creating a lot of distress in our lives. And so by reminding ourselves of God's promises like David does throughout this psalm, we're able to actually reframe the scenario, reframe the trouble or the enemies that we have or whatever's causing us the distress. We're able to reframe who we are. We're able to reframe God. We're able to reframe really what he has for us. And that's why he reminds himself of these promises. And so, uh, so let's dive in here to the first one as we look at the uh, verses two and three after David cries out to God. So um, in the first two, uh, verses two and three, God promises here, they reframe our enemies or the troubles that we are having in life. Now here we find David actually shifts, he's crying out to God, but then in his prayer he shifts to talking to these men in his life who are causing him trouble. And he says to them, he says, oh men, how long shall my honor Honor be turned into shame. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So what we see here is David is struggling with a faction of very prominent and influential men within the kingdom that have begun to slander him and be slander him personally and slander his kingship and his rule. And because of their status in the kingdom and in their society there, he just can't ignore this. He can't, he can't just say, this is a problem that'll just fade away because of their status, that this is a problem that will only grow and fester and get worse and cause more problems. So it's something that he needs to deal with. And so here he's addressing them, saying, how long is is his glory and his honor going to be turned into shame? Now, he's not asking just for his personal honor. That's not what this is about, that his reputation is being tarnished. That's not what he's talking about here. He's referring more so to the bigger picture that that the, the slander that is happening is against the king of Israel. And it's not, it even goes bigger than that because David's not just some king of Israel. David is God's anointed. David is the archetype that prefigures the coming Messiah who is going to bring salvation to sinners and bind them to God as his people. That's the slander that's going on. It's not to the king alone. It's to the God who put the king there. It's to this king that God put in his place to give you an idea and a picture of this coming Messiah. And so that is what the slander is against. And so David then... um, in that, so he, what he does is, and he, this song, you know, as we think of this scenario, we think of this scenario, and you're like, well, okay, that sounds like an issue, it sounds like a big problem, it sounds like a problem a king would have, I'm sure politicians deal with this all the time, and you're like, but what's that have to do with my car being wrecked, you know? <laughs> So this doesn't really apply to me today, you know, and I, this is good Bible information, thanks for sharing, um, but I, it just doesn't truly apply to me. And I would just have to say I beg to differ. 
That I, I would say that this psalm is written specifically for you in the trouble that you're experiencing and the distress that you are going through. Because the truths that are here are for you. They're to instruct you on how to apply these truths to the, every problem that you are dealing with and, and to every enemy in your life or trouble that comes your way. Because what's happening is through these troubles, through these enemies, and, and when I mean enemies, it, sometimes it's people who are directly sinning against you, okay? Sometimes Sometimes it's, it's just life in a broken world, whether it be that, that disease has entered into your life. The very fact that I'm standing here is because disease has entered into someone's life and is troubling them and distressing them uh, with our pastor David, or whether it be um, just some other brokenness or tragedy that has entered into your life. Whatever that enemy or trouble might be, what is happening is that this enemy um, of the world, the flesh, and the devil is setting a course against you to slander, to disparage you, to be able to essentially uh, break you down as a child of God. As a child of God. You, as one of God's children, have been given the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to reside within you. And in that, that you are the righteous, that you are one of God's, that you will inherit eternity, that you will sit on the throne and judge the nations in righteousness alongside of Christ. You are the kingdom of priests, that you are Christ's ambassador who's been charged with bringing the life-changing gospel that forgives sins, that's able to bind sinners to God himself. That's who you are. So when this trouble disparages you, when this trouble beats you down and, and, and just really wear, wear, is wearing upon you so that you aren't able to be who you are, this psalm is something you could read because this psalm is for you. You are experiencing the same thing because of your position before God. So we need to understand that the enemies of God's people in the Old Testament are the same as God's enemies today, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they are set against us. And so we need to also keep in mind, as I mentioned earlier, that there's another enemy, there's another, another troubler in your life. It's the person who talks to you more than any other person. Who is that? It's yourself. You talk to yourself probably 10 times more than anyone. You have this ongoing conversation in your own head all of the time. And so much of it beats you down and lies to you. It, it, it's a delusion. And that's, what, that's exactly what, what um, David here is saying to them. He says, how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? What he's, those words there that tra is translated into delusions that you have. And you're saying things about yourself that are not true in the light of God and Jesus Christ and what has been accomplished for you to place you to where you are. That's not true. But this is what beats us down. It's that slandering, lying whisper in our ear that comes from the indwelling sin within us. Well, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, David shows us how to properly understand our enemies, that he reframes them. He reframes them by showing that the attacks are based on empty words. They're, they are, they're, they're, they're based in calling you into a, some kind of delusion or calling you to serve some kind of worthless idol. 
So the rebuttal to God's enemy here is his promises. And David warns them in verse three. He tells them this. I love this. Every time I read this, I just stop because it's just so powerful. And it's literally like a punch back. And he says, but know this, okay? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. So know this enemy, know this trouble, know this lying whisper and slander in my ear, know this. And he, and he begins to recount the promises of God. For he says, the, God, the Lord has set apart the godly for himself, the Lord hears when I call to him. And so we have to ask this, who are the godly? Who are the godly? Because this is important as we read this, because it's important, I think, for each person has to really take a, 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 you know, find out where, where do I stand in this? Where am I in this passage here? And so in this, I, I love the way it's phrased here in three, because he says this, he says that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Well, the word set apart is actually the definition, that's the root of the word holy, Okay, that's the root of the word holy ones, all right, is set apart, that you are set apart for special use. And, and this is why it's used here in attachment to the godly, that if you go to the New Testament, all right, that the word for, um, for this set apartness, this holy, when it applies to a people, is, it's the word saints, hagios. And it's, it is the word that means holy ones, that you are set apart for God's special use. So these holy ones have a special relationship with God, that they have been made holy, and with this special relationship comes special privileges, being that God listens to you. So when you cry out, the one who says, I will be your God and you'll be my people, you're like, yeah, the the big guy behind me who's with me, yeah, yeah, I'm crying out to him, and he works on my behalf. And so that, he's the muscle that we bring to the party. He's the, he's the muscle that we bring to a situation. So as we cry out to him, we need to know and trust and believe he is listening to us. So, so he, let's move on to the second uh, part here. How, so he helps us uh, deal with our enemies and to reframe them. But he also, the, God, the promises of God helps us to reframe ourselves as well as our response. So he goes on to the next verses here in in four and five, and he says, he says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts and on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now there's a confusion with this um, and some debate as to who is David speaking to. In this, in this passage. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to his enemies or is he talking to those who are godly? And what I would say is I would interpret this that this is a two-way street. Yes, he's talking to both of them because he's talking to sinners, people who have indwelling sin within him. So yes, the enemies of God have sin that is ruling in their hearts. And then also the godly are sinners who have indwelling sin continuing to be in them and to attack them as well. So he's speaking to sinners in this. And so in this, um, we read it, as you read it, you're like, this is really reminiscent of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4. When uh, the, uh, Paul says this, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And so what David and we see the apostle Paul agreeing with is saying that, yes, you, you can be angry, but don't let 
the anger control the situation. Don't let it drive the scenario and drive your outcome. Because, you know, as we look through, as we look through the scriptures, there's just a host of passages that, that teach us to be very, very careful with our anger in these situations. You know, it's kind of like, it, it, it's like trying to clear a field with a gas fire. It doesn't take much for it to get out of control, right? So I'm speaking from experience on that. Um, but hey, I was in third grade, okay? And I was left unattended at the same time, so in my defense, okay? All right, but the, the scriptures tell us very, very clearly that we are to refrain from anger knowing that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So that is, although we feel like our anger is a great weapon to deploy in these situations, if I can just get angry enough, mean enough, and be hard as nails, but the Bible's steering us away from that. God is steering us away from that. And do you know why? Because we have far greater weapons that we can use to be able to deal with these situations. One of them is humility. One of them is humility. I heard our friend Mike Veach, I had coffee with him this week, and, and he was telling about some kind of trouble in his life, but then he, he was said how he's complaining to God about it. And, um, and, and he said, but you know what God answered him back and just kind of brought into his heart was that you deserve far worse than this. <laughs> and so it humbled him to be able to say, why am I complaining in the middle of this? And so that is so true, though, that humility changes our stance, our view of ourselves and how we go forward. And the other great weapon we have is love. That's the greatest force in the, in the entire universe. This is what changes the whole dynamic of scenarios is love. And so as we, as we utilize these two weapons that our situation is able to change, this is part of why he's telling them to sit on your bed and be silent and ponder. Most of us don't ever do that in the midst of trouble, do we? No, we get busy, we start working. And, uh, but he's saying, no, you need to ponder. Be silent on your bed, think through this. So the, uh, the David, the psalmist here, he says that better than anger, he commands us in another direction. So he commands us to offer right sacrifices. And so because we're looking at the Old Testament here, in the Old Testament, uh, we understand that the sacrifices that are offered, they're offered for sin. So this is a sin sacrifice he's referring to here for, the, for forgiveness of, of sins that we've committed against other people. And, and so this is none other than an animal sacrifice that was offered and that the shed blood that covers then the sin that you committed. And uh, this is a picture in the Old Testament. We have to always understand that when we read the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament is, is a shadow of a greater reality to come in Jesus Christ. And so when he's talking about uh, offering a, 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 a right sacrifice here, what we're finding here is that this is pointing us forward into the New Testament, to the ultimate sacrifice that was offered for sin and that is Jesus Christ himself. For this is the only sacrifice that actually removes sin, that actually makes payment for sin and the condemnation, and that actually leaves you cleansed. So as, as we look upon this sacrifice of Christ, of him, the righteous and holy one, giving up his life on the cross to make the payment for us, as we look upon that sacrifice and we have faith and trust upon that, then what happens is that we are given new life in Jesus Christ, that we, that is the entryway into becoming the godly. 
and moving into being a holy one, that your sins are covered because you have trusted the one who is the complete and last and final sacrifice that is in Jesus Christ. And so as we trust that, we become saints. We become those godly ones. We become the ones who God now is listening to, all right? And as we look to Christ, all right, for our righteousness, and we look to Christ for our forgiveness and for new life, though, there's another sacrifice. There's another sacrifice that happens. Now, now Jesus mentions it all the time because it's all a part of coming to him. He tells us what? He tells us to take up our cross and to follow him, that it's no longer I who live, Matt Wilson, but it's now Christ who lives in me, that I've sacrificed myself, I've sacrificed my will and my way and, and how I think is right, which is required the God of the universe to come down and die on a cross to get me out of my scenario, and invites me then into, as I sacrifice myself and humbly embrace the cross, as I do that, that's when I enter into new life. That's when I begin to uh, really embrace God as my God and I then become one of his people. And so this then leads us then to our final, our final point that David makes here. And he says this in six through eight. He says this. He says, there are many who will say, who will show us some good? Lift up your head, the light of your face upon us, O Lord, for you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. For in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Well, the late pastor James Montgomery Boyce tells us this. He says, what is important about this psalm is what happens to the psalmist as he prays. What happens is that he changes. He moves from anxiety because of his accusers to a quiet trust in God, which is to say in modern terms that prayer is his therapy for it has done him good. Well, simply put, David experiences gospel transformation in the midst of his trouble as the, as the same transformation that is offered to you and I, that as we place our trust in Jesus, as we rest upon Jesus, we find transformation. Now, there are some who will say that, that to just rest is e easy beliefism, well, uh, the great theologian, uh, Francis Schaeffer, said this, that as we learn to place our faith and trust in Jesus, you will find that to be the hardest work you'll ever do because we want to get busy and exert our strength. And so he's calling us to do the opposite and to restrain that and to find rest. And so for those who are in distress today, and your heart cry is just this, exactly what he says here in this passage, who will show me some good in life? I mean, so many of us like, I wish I could go somewhere else and just be free of this. Let's go live off the grid, right? Let's go live off the grid. Let's escape all of that. And we know that that's not true, that there is no escape from this. But to those who place their faith and trust in Christ and you follow him and you obey him and you look to him to be your savior, not just of your sin, but in your life and in your weariness and in your trouble, that he is your savior all of the time, these promises are yours today to bring about your transformation regardless of your situation. And these promises are this, that in Christ, 
God has lifted up the light of his face on you and he has put joy in your heart, a joy that can withstand any scenario and any situation, that even someone like Paul who's been thrown into prison in midnight in the darkest of nights, he's able to what? Sing the joy of his salvation. Well, he also gives us peace that enables us to be able to lie down and to sleep and also knowing that our righteousness, our honor, and our security come only from God in Jesus Christ. And he is the one who says to you, whispers in your ear, child, you are mine. Child, you are mine. You can cast your cares upon me. You can cast your anxieties upon me because I care for you. Let's pray. Father, there is none like you. There are no other gods that get down on their knees and wipe our tears and embrace us and hold their arms open and calling us to be able to just run to be and feel your embrace. We are so grateful that we're able to know you, that you have moved into the life of a sinner and to be able to transform them, to be able to call them saints, the holy ones, the ones whom you listen to. We are so grateful for that, Father. We, I just pray now that if there's anyone here today who says, I don't think I have that relationship with God, but I'd like to. I pray today, Lord, that they give their life to you, that they put their faith and trust in you, Lord Jesus, trusting your work that you've accomplished for them to forgive their sin and to unite you, them to God so that they may experience the forgiveness and eternity that you and you alone offer. And I pray, Father, that today is the day of their transformation where they now are given a new life and they are now hear that whisper of God in their ear saying, you are mine, child of God. And I just pray for them today. Praise in Christ's name alone. Amen.